The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Hey, welcome. Today, we're talking about sleuthing for toilets that flush into Salem Sound. And Salem Sound is that body of water on the north shore of Mass Bay up here in Massachusetts. And my guests today are Barbara Warren, who's the executive director of Salem Sound Coast Watch, and Rebecca J. DuPont-Cotu, senior project scientist, New England Civil Engineering Corps. Hello, Barbara. Hello. Hi, Rob. And that was Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. Hi there. Hi. You guys are in the same room in Salem right now? We are. We are. Well, I'm up here in Harvard Square, so we'll have to talk on the phone. Okay. <laughs> Too bad. We should be outside under the, when the beautiful sunshine. Oh, I know. It's like a summer day here today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's like Boy. 80 degrees outside. Uh, so we're going to talk about nitrogen is the world's worst pollutant of oceans. And that's the stuff that's the main ingredient coming out of our toilets. And it also comes from fertilizing lawns and, and um, agriculture. Uh, and it, the, the problem is, is that nitrogen feeds harmful algal blooms and causes ocean dead zones to form. And so the Ocean River Institute has had a number of place-based campaigns to reduce the amount of nitrogen pollution that's coming from fertilizers we found that agriculture was over-fertilizing by 100%, and the lawns were being over-fertilized by 500%. So reducing the number of fertilizing applications to lawns would be an easy solution because people actually save money while they're cleaning waters. Uh, But unfortunately, it's not easy to get that message across and for people to change their practices to bring about cleaner waters. And so if you want to know more about that campaign and those efforts, please visit our webpage, oceanriver.org, for more information about that. But let's um, bring it around to nitrogen, which is the main component of sewage and septic. And treating sewage is very expensive, and so communities are working hard to reduce polluting coastal waters. And Salem Sound Coast Watch was established 25 years ago with a citizen science harbor monitoring program to watch the waters of Salem, Beverly, and Marblehead. 
and essentially to get a sense of what's the heartbeat of the harbor, what's the, the natural conditions throughout the year of those coastal waters there. Back in, ni- in the 1980s, I was the curator of natural history at the Peabody Essex Museum, and volunteers were trained to measure salinity, dissolved oxygen, and water clarity. Uh, we had, I had them scheduled, so they would go pick up two buckets containing YSI instruments and a Secchi disc at either the Museum of, in Salem or the police station in Marblehead, and, Be- and one in, over in Beverly as well. So the volunteers would go out surveying at different times of day because they followed the high tide oscillations because we always wanted water to put the probes into, and some of the places were, you know, pretty dry at low tide. Um, and the scientists said our science was not very good, and they're right. But it did not need to be spot-on science because we were just recording the rhythms of the harbor. So we were just figuring out what's the natural uh, level for dissolved oxygen, for salinity, uh, for water clarity. And if something unusual was observed, then we could call in the cavalry to say what's going on. And we did this for, I did this for about three or four years. And um, the most unusual report of water conditions was a surprisingly low amount of dissolved oxygen found on July 5th in Marblehead Harbor. So that the volunteers called in and said, Rob, we've got this situation. And I was able to assure the harbor monitors that this was likely the result of excessive nitrogen pollution, nitrogen pollution coming off of the many boats that are crowded into Marblehead Harbor on the 4th of July, and they were seeing the effects the next morning. Um, but another incident was a lesson for me was when the sewer pipe between Salem and Beverly ruptured and there was no noticeable decrease in dissolved oxygen and water clarity. Now, this is the opposite of what I expect. I expect that all that nitrogen flooding into the embayment would cause the algae to go to eat a lot and grow a lot and reproduce a lot and, and bloom. Um, but because the break happened in January, apparently the waters were too cold and daylight length for algae growth was too short. So there wasn't any kind of response to it. Uh, a big spin-off benefit of my little harbor monitoring program of volunteers going down to the water's edge in three or four places per town twice a week was that um, they would interact with the public. They'd go out on docks and in, on the shore, and people would see these people with two buckets and a secchi disc. And so this engaged the public, and as public interest grew, uh, more and more people got involved. And I was called away to Boston to help uh, become president of Save the Harbor, Save the Bay, because Boston Harbor needed some cleaning up, and they were impressed with what we were doing in Salem. And so you know how that story about how the harbor was turned from one of shame into a Boston Harbor of pride. But um, meanwhile, I'd left Salem behind, and Salem Sound Coast Watch was formed, and my guest today... Uh, Barbara Warren is the um, person making it all happen. So, um, Barbara, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what Salem Coast Watch is doing today for clean water? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. 
So, um, yeah, Rob was very instrumental in getting this organization going, and it really started with concerned citizens and the communities. So each one of our six cities in the Salem Sound watershed uh, got involved, uh, were part of the team. Um, the mayors or the town selectmen would send somebody to represent their, their interests. Uh, they also invited um, the polluters, actually. So our wastewater treatment plant was on, um, on, attended the meetings, and Eastman Gelatin attended the meetings, and they were the largest polluter, uh, point source polluter at that time of the North River and Peabody. So it's always been a very um, uh, working together as a community, uh, a regional approach, and our goal has always been to improve, improve the environmental quality of uh, Salem Sound, of the water. And to do that, you have to look at, uh, generally, what's happening on land. So uh, we now have a new vision statement call, uh, that we've shortened from our long one, which was several pages long or paragraphs long, to leading the way to a healthier sea and shore. And over the 25 years, we definitely have seen an incredible improvement in Salem Sound. At the end of this talk, I'm going to come back to a swim in the harbor, and um, I don't think we would have ever thought about having a contest uh, long-distance swim in Salem Harbor back in 1980 or, or 1990. So how did this all get started? Um, in uh, 1993, uh, the organization called, out, called for volunteers, and we got over 100 people, and we walked the 41 miles of shoreline at low tide, and identified any, uh, anything that we thought would be a source of pollution, um, bacteria, nitrogen running into um, the ocean. And this is, really came from streams, and it came from outfall pipes. So we're going to talk a lot about stormwater today, and stormwater is when it rains, it goes down the streets, uh, into the catch basins, into those drains, and it doesn't go to the wastewater treatment plant. It goes right into a river or into the ocean. Um, and uh, Rebecca and I spend a lot of time talking about stormwater. That's <laughs> one of our passions here to get that better. Um, so they did. They walked around and they found, uh, I think it was like 166 potential sites. And then they went out year-round and tested these. And the communities really worked hard, um, Salem, Beverly, uh, Marblehead to find and correct the sources that Salem Sound Coast Watch volunteers were identifying. Um, and so they made a huge improvement. I had, we just moved our offices and I came across all these old doc documents and one said that between uh, 1994 and 1998 they found, in Salem, they found 115 units. That would be homes probably or businesses that were connected to, directly to the storm drains. Um, another report said they found 165 houses. So it was a huge problem, and we got it fixed. Um, but the problem is that it hasn't, we still aren't at the level we need to be. So the whole north coastal watershed and the south coastal watershed in 2012 was um, given a TMDL, which is total maximum daily load for bacteria. So now EPA is monitoring, not necessarily monitoring, but they have a standard for the water quality that should be coming um, off the land into the ocean. Um, so we, we still have a long ways to go. Um, but we've, we've Barbara, taken our water approach. Yeah, go on, Rob. Barbara, how, 
how did you stop it? Did you just put a big cork on the end of the outfall pipe, or how did you stop all the homes from? Uh, that was the What? So I don't know how they found those back then. It was a lot harder than yeah. it is now. Yeah. Um, so what that means is that they no longer were flushing into the um, uh, right storm overflow pipe. Somehow they stopped having to go out the storm pipes. Well, and what was happening? You think historically? So um, you know, Salem. Most of the communities on the North Shore along the coast are very old, old communities, and people used to have septic systems, and then somebody came with the idea, let's make a big pipe and just get it out of here. So um, there were people piped it out to the ocean. That's why we had you know, homes that were directly connected to a pipe that went right out to the ocean. Well, I think That's part of it was yeah. so that it was a combined system. So all the stormwater and all the sewerage all went into the same pipe and dumped into the harbor because we didn't have stormwater treatment facilities there, or, I'm sorry, sewerage treatment facility like we do now. So then, you know, over time, they actually, once they took them out of dumping right into the harbor and put them into the treatment system, they were treating all the stormwater and that as we keep adding to our impervious surface and adding stormwater into these systems, it's overwhelming the sewage treatment plant. So now most communities are trying to disconnect all the stormwater from the sewage treatment plant and dumping it directly into the harbor, which makes sense from that standpoint. However, the stormwater is often pretty dirty from all the stuff it's picking up off the roads, all the oils and fertilizers, such as the nitrogen-based stuff that you were saying. And then because it used to be a combined system, sometimes they missed some of the, the sewer connections that were formally tied to the drain but should be tied to the sewer. So that is my job. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. that's right. So I recall when I was in Salem, uh, heavy rain would cause the combined system to overflow, and right. then we'd see all this sewage going into the harbor. So right. that's why... Rebecca's saying that you separated the stormwater because it wouldn't overwhelm and cause all that to go into the harbor. So that was an improvement. But mm-hmm. um, uh, well, I got off of our um, script where we were going to talk about things in the right order. Um, <laughs> that's that's uh, all right. Uh, yeah, there's so there's a lot to talk about, oh, about so, and it's a little confusing, I'm so I'm sure we'll come back to yeah. uh, No. Yeah. So what, what are the cities and, requ- and towns required to test? of what's coming off the land? As of today, they're not really required to do anything. There's a new stormwater permit that's coming out that will require them to be sampling. Um, Generally, they're responding to citizen issues or citizen group concerns, such as barber sampling, but right now the towns aren't required to sample, most of them. Barbara, there was have you seen in, improvement? Have you seen improvement since the '93 survey? The shoreline oh, survey was done like early '90s. Um, well, we aren't. What we we still we have a clean beaches and stream program where we go out every summer and we monitor outfalls that we think are still issues. And um, yeah. you know, I talked about 166 known sites, and we probably get it's hard to get to 20 of them. And uh, Rebecca's done a great job of even getting rid of some of those for us. Uh, but you were asking what they're required to test. And in 2000, 
um, there was a Beach Act. It was a federal act, and what it says is that the municipalities are required to test at bathing beaches. Uh, anyone, any beach that's used for swimming during the summer, they need to test once a week. So what they do is they go out and they test the. Um, they go out at high tide. They go up to knee deep and they take a sample of the water and they send it off and get it tested for bacteria, um, a bacteria that would indicate that it comes from hu- uh, a mammal gut. Um, yeah. Our program yeah. is different in that we go at low tide and we take it directly from the outfall, from the pipe that's coming off the land, from the storm drains, or from a stream that's you know flowed over land. And so we don't have to worry about it getting diluted by, you know, the ocean. Um, and we can really say this, there is a problem coming from this source. When you're, you know, do it from the ocean, you don't know whether it was the, the, the gulls or the geese in the water, um, kids swimming by you, um, dogs, or, um, or a, a broken septic system or a broken um, sewer pipe. Um, right. But and there's they, also you know, a problem to, of... Yep, go on. It was also, there was a problem with it takes the group a while to do the bacteria test. So, you know, yeah. people just can't walk into the water. They'd have to, like, close the beach and then, or, and then wait for results. Yeah, that's true. So it, it takes uh, about 24 hours right now to get the test. So if you go, they go out on a Wednesday, they're not going to know until Thursday. Um, and then if you were in the beach on Wednesday you had the, and it was closed, you had the potential to get sick. So people always ask me wh- where are the safest beaches to go. Um, you know, we do so much monitoring in Salem Sound that sometimes people think these, we don't have safe beaches, but it's just that we, have our, we know what's happening here. Um, so, uh, but I recommend anywhere, whether it's Maine, the Cape, Salem, Boston, if it's rained, yeah. The day before, or it's raining when you go to the beach, um, I, you know, I would stay out of the water because that's, you know, that's when things get That's right. Rushed. You want to be safe. You want to be careful. But on the yeah. other hand, people are getting an impression that the water is maybe worse than it is because it's, it has to be closed before they get the results. So there may be some false positives there where they have closed the beach and maybe they didn't need to, but it's good to be so the well, uh, they're not going to close the beach until they get the results, but then what happens is... Oh, well, can, I didn't know that. Yeah, so you, you go test the test on Wednesday, and you're not going to close the beach till you get your results back the following day. But I then thought once they, it's was, closed, they did you the have way around. To, okay, got it. You have to keep yeah. testing until, you, until it uh, uh, reaches a certain limit. So the next day, it actually might be fine but you can't open it until you've done some testing. This gets a little complicated, but... No, that's the, good. The that, best... That's it. It's a delay time. People need to understand that delay time stuff because... Yeah, um, check the, yeah. the signs up, and um, if, it's, if it just had a heavy downpour, you know, wait, wait 24 hours to go for a yeah. swim. Give the tide a chance to clean it out, I guess. Yeah, give the tide a chance. Um, so... Um, I know, Rob, you had seen, uh, Rebecca gave a, a great presentation at our 25th anniversary symposium. And right. When, uh, and so I know we were going to talk about that some. Um, Good. Go for because it. Because <laughs> it's really been quite amazing. So oh, what oh, happens? Barb, Barb, I've got to interrupt for a second. We need to take mm-hmm. a short break. This is a good point. And then when we've got to come back, Rebecca's going to talk about the 
fabulous presentation she gave about flipping open manhole covers to really jump into the issues of um, cleaning up the storm pipes and stuff. Yeah. So we'll be right Good. back after this break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate, the number four, oceans.org. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi. We're talking about nitrogen pollution on the north side of Massachusetts Bay, especially around Salem and Marblehead and Beverly and Manchester and the great coast of Peabody, Massachusetts. My guest today is Rebecca Dupont-Cotu, and she is a sleuth for toilets that flush into Salem Sound. They're supposed to flush into the sewage treatment plant, but... She, but, and my other guest, Barbara Warren from Salem Sound Coast Watch, uh, 
the two of them have been finding um, wayward connections that shouldn't be going direct to the sea. And so we're going to learn more about spoofing that out. And uh, first, Barbara, uh, where can people learn more about the work of um, Salem Sound Coast Watch? Uh, we invite you to go to salemsound.org.org, and uh, we have a very informative uh, uh, website, and you can always attend to, uh, any of our events. They're always open to the public, um, or certainly call us if you have questions. And um, it, I, I met Rebecca for the first time at this 25th symposium that you had back in March, and uh, she got to do something that... Um, is always captivating. Well, I have three boy, three sons, and they were big Ninja Turtle fans. And I think that what intrigued them was that they were able to flip open those manhole covers and go beneath into the underground. And this is the realm of Rebecca. Yeah. Um, so, Rebecca, what what kind of what triggers the call for you to do an investigation? How do you know where to go? Well. Um as part of my job, I do this in most in quite a few communities. We do regular drain and sewer mapping, so we open all the manholes and look at things in there. That's pretty generally what I do. But with the outfalls, um, a lot of times they come from people who call the city and say they walked by a catch basin and it smelled like sewer or they were on the beach and the water coming from the outfall pipe was cloudy or Barbara or another citizen's group will call and say they sampled an outfall and it had bacteria in it. And so then I get a phone call from the city to go and figure out where it's coming from. And so it, it can be challenging. We, we make really, um, really in-depth maps for the cities that we work in. We open all the sewer manholes and all the drain manholes and figure out how they connect to one another and the, the connectivity to get to the outfall, the catchment for each outfall is pretty much where I start. I map it and open all the junction manholes where multiple streets meet. The pipes run, obviously, under the street, and they I can pop those manholes and sort of eliminate areas that the, there's no water coming from that that drain system, but sometimes mm. in a lot of these times it's tidal, so they're always flowing, or there's a lot of groundwater, so it can be really challenging. But a lot of times I'll open a number of drain manholes and it'll smell like a sewer, and then I know I'm onto something. <laughs> but Unfortunately, the, the, of the, the I love that. it when I open the manhole covers; they go wild for that. I've done it for Samsung Coast Watch to give the kids an example as to what it is where the water goes once it leaves the road, and they were pretty fascinated by it. You know, all, you know our streets are laid, laden with these manhole covers, and I think most people don't even think about them. Yeah. Um, and so to actually be able to look into them. Yeah. Um, but what, what I really like about Rebecca's work is, it, you know, we've been doing this for years, and we would find a problem, and we would report it, and the DPWs would go out, the, you know, the city workers would go out, and they would find one problem, and they'd come back and say, we fixed it, and, you know, sort of wash their hands of it, and I'd, we'd test again, and we'd say, there's still a problem, and they get a little annoyed with it. So what Rebecca's doing is really looking at the catchment. She's starting, what, where at the top? I start at the outfall and work my way up. Um, okay. they, you can do it either way. I think it's easier to eliminate things by going up and going from the bottom and working up. But mm -hmm. um, 
it, it can go either way. It depends. But, but you do the whole. I do the whole catchment to eliminate as much as possible because it's expensive. Uh, the next part of my job, once I go out and I look at the whole catchment and try to eliminate as much as possible, is I hire a crew to come out with a camera. It's a remote control camera that we can look at from inside the truck, and it videos inside the pipes. It drives around in the pipes and chases you know, frogs or rats or whatever else is in there and tries to determine the source of the bacteria. But it's really expensive to get them out there, so I'm out there first popping all the manholes and trying to figure out where to target our investigation. Rebecca. Yeah. Rebecca, um, unfortunately, people can't see you because it's radio. But <laughs> I was impressed by the size of your biceps for opening those manhole covers. <laughs> It's a good workout. It really is. Keeps me in shape. <laughs> uh, it's, no, it's seriously, you, you, you look like a woman, and not a ninja turtle. Up. So how do you do that? How do you open a manhole cover when you don't aren't built like a ninja turtle? Uh, oh, I I am built like a ninja turtle. Um, we have a big giant magnet that's um, weighted. It's 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 I don't even know how to describe it. It's a no it's a big magnet. Into the manhole cover, and we can pull it right up. It's beautiful. So, so you just we, pull the magnet like a plug in a sink on a string or something on a rope, and it's 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 on wheels, and it, it's um oh god, it's weighted. Hmm. I don't know how to explain hmm. it. You know what? We'll put out get a picture of it. We'll put it on our website. <laughs> listening to that, they'll have to go to our website and yeah. look at the the giant magnet. <laughs> pretty sweet. That's right. <laughs> and you twirl it over your head when you're going down the street and stuff? I wish I could. That would really get some no. attention to the issue. <laughs> so it must have like a tripod or something that goes over the manhole cover that you can hoist with? It's just, um, it's just weighted. I, it's, um, I don't yeah. know how to, it's, yeah, it's not, not a winch, but it's, it's, uh, I'm not sure what the term is that I'm trying to find, but That's okay. Barbara's trying to find a picture for like a me. Point? That's okay. So the bottom line is don't try this at home. You know, no matter how much iron you can pump, you need yeah, the right tool right. to be opening the manhole. Push that on one side, it pops it up on the other. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're trying to I, find I, are sewer yeah. connections of people's houses that are tied to these drain lines, and it can be really challenging with the debris that's in the pipes, and so we're trying to get these cameras in there. We should put a picture of that up, too. Yeah. These little remote control cameras are amazing. Yep. Yeah, so, uh, you know, if there's toilet paper somewhere along there, then she knows that she's got the a problem. On the right track. The yeah. Then what do you do after that? Then I die test the house. Okay. Sometimes I can't. The homeowner won't let me in. or they. A lot of times um, people know there's something wrong with their sewer line, but they don't understand what it is. Like, I find that people say, oh, it floods. At high tide, all the time, my toilet backs up at high tide and it's raining. Oh. But they don't understand that's because they're tied to the wrong pipe. So it's Rebecca? funny how many of them I found, and they're like, oh, that makes sense because my toilet doesn't Rebecca, work. Rebecca, do you want to go into the houses to return the toilet paper, or why are you going into houses? Yeah. <laughs> well, most of these people don't know, so you can't get mad at them and throw their toilet paper back at them. But, um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, pe- people. Most people are mortified when they find out that their houses, and and sometimes this has happened with. Um, we've had it in Danvers. We've had it in Marblehead, where newer homes, you can tell because the 
the piping is um, made of plastic. It's made of plastic. It's a turquoise plastic generally, um, and they, it is connected to the storm drain. So the plumber just hooked it up wrong. And yeah. these people are really mortified because they have a brand new house. You know, when you have a house that was built in the 1800s, it's 1800s before plumbing, you sort of thought, well, okay. But um, to have a new home doing it as well. But um, well, most people you- are really grateful that it's finally been fixed. Yeah, yeah. Rebecca, would you put dye down the toilet or something? Yeah, I do a dye test. I go in and we flush it and run the sink. And sometimes if I have the camera in there, I can see it come right out of the pipe. And sometimes oh I see it in the manhole downstream if I'm just there looking down into the manhole without a camera crew. So that, that narrows it down pretty, pretty, uh, pretty well. <laughs> but sometimes it's just a leaking pipe, and those are really hard to find. Um, and then another one, another type of illicit that I'm finding more and more yeah. is that the main sewer line, you know, the, the sewer itself, not someone's service, is backed up because of what people are flushing down the mm. toilet. And we're, yeah. That's becoming more and more of a problem. So no one knows that the sewer's backed up. But the, right. the water finds a way out of the pipes, and it oh, gets into drain manholes. It gets into drain pipes because a lot of times the the two systems, the pipes are running side by side under the road. They don't have that. The water doesn't have that far to go to get over there, and it's got to get out. So um, I've been finding more and more of that people are flushing um, cleaning wipes, and a lot of those cleaning wipe packaging doesn't explicitly say you can't flush it down the toilet. And people just think it's like toilet paper and they can just flush it. But it is causing enormous problems everywhere, everywhere. You could yeah, do a whole you should talk a little more about because you're saying that clean wipes and these um, zippy wipes and these different things that they advertise on television to uh, clean yeah, the house with. Bad news. Uh, I, I was in Manchester uh, looking at their... Um, their wastewater treatment plant, and they, they were saying there that they come in and then they, they clog up their um, pumps. And so, you know, workers have to go in and manually pull it out, and it's a really dangerous place to, you know, can easily lose a hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just because right. people don't know about these wet ones. They think, oh, it's just like a, um, a you know, toilet, toilet paper. Toilet. Yeah. It's just going to disintegrate, and it doesn't. Yeah, and, and it continues to absorb, right? Oil well, and- also part of what it is is that people, when you people dump grease down the sewer as well, like cooking grease and cooking grease, and those things are magnets to each other, so they make huge mountains of the, that, that stuff, and it gets to be so ma- so massive it won't flow down the pipe anymore. It gets caught up in a manhole or just mm-hmm. in the pipe itself, and they just keep catching each other and catching, catching, and growing, growing, and. And I, there was one in London that was as big as a bus because they've got a big, huge pipe. Holy smoke. Yeah, it was yeah. a huge thing that happened over there. But that's everywhere. Really bad news. So it, that's something that anybody can do to, to help with water quality because that's continuing to be a problem and it's getting worse. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is if you haven't eaten it or it's not toilet paper, don't put it in the toilet. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's you got not it. A di- it's not a disposable. You need to know this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Say it again, I'll cut you off. It's oh. just not a dispose of everything tool, you know. People, they have their garbage disposals. They put everything down there, and they treat toilets the same way. 
we find the weirdest things in the sewer. So it would be, you know, those are the worst. So those in the, the dental floss cleaners, the mm. big chunks of plastic, they all sort of group together in the sewers and it causes big backups mm. and the water's got nowhere to go. It goes in the drain. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is this all costs us money because we have yes. to pay for the sewerage. We have to pay, to, you know, to get things cleaned out or to get fixed. Yeah. Um, and it, so it's, you know, if we, it's so simple not to do it. Well, right? a, lot of, a lot of things, uh, a lot of uh, in this area and I'm sure everywhere, but we have a lot of sewer siphons because we have rivers and train tracks, so the sewer has to get underneath those things. So we have these siphons, and that's where a lot of these things get caught up. Mm. There's a big one in Salem. It goes under the uh, the computer commuter rail, right? Yeah, there's a, there's several, and there's right. one. The commuter rail goes underneath the street in downtown Salem. Oh, right, and yeah. so, so all that storm drains down. and, uh, and, and the sewers go below that tunnel, right? So Rebecca was describing a siphon, meaning that, you have to have like a, a giant hose that has continuous water to pull it and come up the other side again, like a siphon. As if you were siphoning, you know, fuel out of a tank or something. And so, yeah, you don't want to have things clogging up the siphon or, or what? You have a giant mole that goes in and rotor rooter or something? It's incredibly hard to clear those suckers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, they really catch everything in there. And it's, we do have a big, a sucker hose that can go in there and pull it out, but I've had backups where it's actually broken the huge truck. It's broken the ma- uh, these right. things are like Kevlar hmm. tubes, and they will bur- those rags will burst right through that. Hmm. It's incredible. It's really, really incredible. Hmm. So, the Rebecca, other- what are the results of your sleuthing? So, so in Salem, we have almost forty. Um, illicit connections, which are direct sewer connections to the drain line, like homes and businesses. And then we've mm. had sewer lines that run through drain lines that were broken that we've repaired, and then the sewer backups that I was talking about. But um, And that's all in the last four years? That's ago? in the last four years since I've been doing this. But there were many more before that. But these ones, you know, they're getting harder, which is good, because <laughs> there's less of them, and they're harder to find. So it makes more yeah. of a challenge for yeah. my work. But that's... That's good. Yeah. So it really is like a needle in a haystack, and and I think that's why it's so important to be methodical about it. Like uh, Rebecca said, starting at the outfall, moving up, checking everything as you go till you you know you've eliminated all the possibilities. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you know I've had to go back to catchments because when I did my first investigation, the house that's connected, those people were on vacation that week, so I couldn't see any sewage in the drain that week when I did it. I fix something else, I come back, it still has a problem. So it's just repeating the effort over time until eventually we don't have these problems anymore. Yeah. Well, it's, it's great tenacity to, to stick the problem. It's a big expense for Salem, and, you know, they're working really hard on it. It's, it's really great. That is good. It's really great that Salem has employed you and, and you know, is really addressing this because... This is like the first thing people ignore because it's out of everyone's mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, people, um, we do a lot yeah. of education at Salem Sound Coast Watch, and uh, people just don't understand about stormwater. You know, getting back to your nitrogen, um, they don't understand that uh, what goes down the drain, um, the, the, the street drains, 
is not getting cleaned, and, um, you know, it just looks like water So on the whole, and so they, they think there's nothing wrong with it, but it can be high in bacteria, which really hurts people, uh, makes them sick, uh, closes our shellfish beds, uh, and then if with the nitrogen, there's a whole other problem of, you know, algal blooms and... Yeah. And, and then there can also be... Um, you know, like heavy metals that are coming off of automobile exhaust or uh, tires and things mm-hmm. like that that, that mm-hmm. get into the water and bioaccumulate in the animals. So. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca and I are very excited because the city of Salem has a grant with Coastal Zone Management, and we're going to be putting in some of the first rain gardens in Salem yeah. and uh, another uh, proprietary stormwater treatment called a focal point, and it will remove all the heavy metals yeah. and uh, oils. And oils. And we're locating it right next to a tow truck company that has that's bringing in all these cars from accidents and whatnot and are just in rough shape and leak and all that stuff. So we're excited to be able to treat any runoff from that site through these through this. Tell project. us what a rain garden is. Why would you describe it? Uh, did you ask what was a rain garden? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's a rain garden? Okay, so it's a, a depression in um, in the ground. Um, and the, the key is to have the right uh, mix of um, soil underneath this depression. So you want it to be able to drain, um, and then you want plants, because the plants, the roots of the plant will absorb the heavy metals. They'll uh, absorb the water. Oh, they will actually clean it. Um, so the, the water is, is directed off the street or off your roof. of your. You can have a rain garden in your house. Uh, not in your yeah. house, but on your off property. So, yeah, so yeah. drain off the roof or it will, like if you have uh, an area where it dr- runs off the roof and then floods your, your driveway, you can make this rain garden. Um, it doesn't cause mosquitoes because it's meant that it drains within 24 hours. And you, it'll cool. be dry. It slows down the water flowing away. It. Yeah. Hmm? It slows the water flowing off away from your house. It slows down yeah. the stormwater. Yeah flow, and then the plants get to do their work of pulling some stuff out of the water. Right, exactly, right. Fabulous. I have to interrupt you again. Uh, Mm -hmm. Oh, go ahead, quickly. Oh, and there's special spoils you can put in there, too, that uh, absorb some more of the the, um, pollutants. Oh, yeah. So we have to get the right mixture going. Mm -hmm. Uh, Barbara, thanks. We're going to come right back after a short break. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners 
partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI Actions and Events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI Eco Steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate4oceans.org. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we've been talking with Rebecca dupont Kochu about the aging infrastructure of the old pipes, mostly combined, or mostly uh, storm overflow pipes in uh, Salem, Massachusetts. And with me is Barbara Warren, who's the executive director of Salem Sound Coast Watch. And um, Barbara, what can individuals do um, for... Um, cleaning the waters around Salem and the North Shore and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, and as a result, what uh, Rebecca's been telling us. Yeah. Uh, well, if, if uh, I think Rebecca mentioned it once. Uh, well, first, uh, you know, don't flush any of the wet ones down the toilet um, and watch what you do flush down. But uh, the other, and she did also mention about the smell. And I think that uh, sometimes you can walk down the street and you just get that sewer odor and you just don't think anything of it. You say, oh, that's strange, and you just keep walking. And I think, you know, calling an organization like Salem Sound Coast Watch, there's watershed organizations all over um, New England, uh, or calling the DPW or finding or the Board of Health um, and reporting it because uh, there, there might be a, an issue there, and that's, that would save the, the town a lot of money to do that. Um, what else can individuals do? Anything else on... Um Sort of the stormwater? I don't know, just keeping an eye on things, I guess. Just yep. watching, you mm-hmm. know, just being aware of, 
your outfall pipes that you are near or your streams or mm-hmm. wherever you see it discharging, just look at it and make sure there's nothing funky that's coming out, even if it's just litter. You know, you want to keep an eye on all that stuff. There's a lot of, you know, trash that comes out of our outfall pipes, and we need to keep an eye on that as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I found mm-hmm. that people ask me what can they do for the environment, and I'm all saying act locally, act locally, and they're saying, what can I do? And I tell them, if you can't think of something to do, ask a kid, because they're going to be closer <laughs> yeah. to the ground, and they're going to be observing more stuff, and they'll point out what's appropriate action for your place. And often, you know, they're very aware of when pipes are changing their outputs and stuff. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Uh, so in, at Samsung, we do a lot of education. We have a lot of programs to get people involved. And, um, we, you know, you had been talking at the beginning about addressing uh, uh, nitrogen. And we have a greenscapes program, and it's about encouraging invent- environmentally friendly landscaping. And it's really about reducing your use of fertilizers uh, or timing it right. So one of the things you can do is add your fertilizer in the fall, um, and that, that really helps with uh, avoiding the, the spring runoff and uh, the algal blooms. And you were going to mention, Rebecca. Oh, right. When people are applying their own fertilizers, I'm forever, when I'm out walking my dog, walking her in the street because people need to sweep off their sidewalks after they apply their fertilizer. All that fertilizer that's on the sidewalk is just going right into the storm drain when it rains or in your pet's paws and they get stuck in the pet's paws and comes right in your house and they eat it off their paws or you're stepping in it with your bare feet in your house. I'm, I, I definitely, I would love for people to pay more attention to sweeping off their sidewalks after they fertilize. Yeah, so definitely... That's a good point, Rebecca. I've had people tell me that their pets are harmed by the, the fertilizer and so they've had to change what they're doing to their own lawns because of that. But certainly when you're doing your own lawn, think about your neighbor's pets and stuff and try to only put down what the lawn needs to grow. Right, and you're walking on the sidewalk. You're not, you don't need to fertilize the sidewalk. <laughs> so, you know, you need to keep it on the lawn where it's going to do some good and definitely good not in your kitchen, on your kitchen floor when you come in with your shoes on or whatnot. So we have a whole program with, through Greenscapes, which is on our website, and it's also at greenscapes.org. Um, and it's interesting because I don't think of Salem Sound as being uh, eutrophic. That means, you know, you think of the Chesapeake Bay or um, a, a pond, a freshwater pond, and it all turns green with algae. That's not what Salem Sound, Salem Sound looks like. But we just finished up a study, a three-year study with Salem State University, and we found that we do have... Um, the plankton, the algae, microalgae is causing uh, a turbidity events in Salem Sound. And so we're going to be exploring that in the future. That's a whole other topic. Uh, and I just didn't realize how big the problem was until we did this three-year study. Um, well, a turbidity event means that the water clarity is going away, is going down. Yeah. Remember, you, you put the secchi disc down into the water yeah. to see how far down it would go. And we're getting more of times when the water is not clear. Um, I thought it was the boats, you know, their chains getting stirred up, or people think it's from rain events where the water, you know, is rushing off of the land. And we found those were present but not major issues for the, um, the cloudiness in the water. It was really the plankton. 
And plankton, you know, they're good things. That's what whales eat. They're the base of the food chain. But um, if you get too much of it, then it, it disrupts the ecosystem in the, in the water. So That's we, great we'll be science doing more work on that one. This will be next to... Invite me back to talk about that. <laughs> Um, another way that people can get involved is uh, through our, we do um, marshes, we go out in the marshes and we do some monitoring there. Uh, we started in um, around 1998, we did adopt a tide pool and we found that we had so many invasive species, non-native species, that we, now our focus is more on what's new <laughs> and a not native uh, invasive in our area and we do that all summer long at docks. Um, in, on the, the rocky shore and in tide pools from Manchester, Beverly, Salem, um, and uh, Marblehead. And we also have an Adopt-A-Beach program. So we invite people. I've trained about 500 people in the last five years to go out and adopt their favorite beach. Uh, we, it's about picking up trash, which is there's a huge marine debris problem of all the plastics in the water. But we also look at um, the bacteria levels, the invasive species, and um, any erosion, and um, what the rises of sea level, the, the sea level rise is, is causing, um, affecting our beaches. We have a, a great school to sea program, but I won't talk about that because Emily, our ocean literacy educator, is going to be on your show next Thursday. Yes. Um. Um, so how oh, do you support you all these fund? marvelous programs? How are you funding? Oh, how do we fund this? Uh, well, we write a lot of grants, but it's really important um, to get community support. And so coming up this summer, we have the Race for Salem Sound, and we have two races. And uh, Rebecca, uh, the wonderful person she is, is a volunteer on our uh, board, the Salem Sound Coast Watch board, and she is the head of our race run for the beach. So I'm going to let Rebecca talk about that. Yeah, so we have a 5K that is, uh, this is our seventh year mm -hmm. already, and it's a 5K and it's at Dane Street Beach in Beverly on June 2nd at 10 a.m. 12th. 12th, I'm sorry, June 12th mm -hmm. at uh, 10 a.m. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a 5K. It used to be only a run, but this year we're having it a run walk so more people can come. And it's beautiful course. It goes mostly along the water. It's really nice. People love it. And then um, there's a sandy beach right there. A sandy beach. People bring picnics and hang out, and it's it's just a really nice event. And we're already in our seventh one. It's amazing. Yeah. So if you like to walk and run and be by the beach and support a great cause, uh, you know, show up. Registration is online at SalemSound.org and get the information. Um, and then later you know, in the yeah, go ahead. Pardon? You're going to go ahead about the swim now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so later in the summer, our second race is an open water swim, and it's in Salem Harbor at, at the Forest River Park. That's going to be Sunday, August 21st. And we have a five-meter. Um, a lot of young, uh, younger uh, students will swim that. We have a one-mile. And then it seems like the older, older folks like the 5K. Uh, so it's uh, at the end of the harbor, and we have everybody out there. It's very safe, and this is our 11th year doing this one. And we've never had to close it because the water was too dirty, so we're very pleased Yay! about it. Yeah, yeah and p people come from all over the country, and we've even had people from South Africa show up to swim. You know, they happen to be here, and they came for a swim, and they all think it's wonderful. 
they like cold water too. <laughs> and I hear that Deborah Kramer is going to come out and talk about her new book about the red knot. It's yeah, called the yeah, narrow really edge, to have a bird, an ancient crab, and an epic journey. Yeah, she's an author um, who lives in Gloucester, and she um, is going to be at our Underwater and Salem Sound Lecture Series, which is in Marblehead at their Abbott Library. And it's uh, so she decided to. Uh, she heard about this little shore um, sandpiper, the red knot, and it travels 19,000 miles from the bottom of South uh, America up to the Canadian Arctic to lay its eggs. And she actually went Barbara, 40, we're 000. short on time, but okay, tell so us when the talk is. Yep. So uh, it's April 27th. And, again, just go to our website, salemsound.org, and you will get all the information. Um, and then, we're, and then check out open having house. some open houses uh, with new, our new space, and we're going to have exhibits, and that's in May. We have three of them. So check it out, and we'd love to meet you and, and uh, talk some more. And, Barbara, so why should people make their checks payable to Salem Sound Coast Watch? <laughs> because we are doing great things, and we're making the waters clean and healthy for um, all of us and all our visitors, and certainly for the, um, the things that live in the ocean as well. Do you have anything to add? And you only make it possible because lots of people participate. Um, yes. And so, Barbara, thank you for taking the time to talk about Salem Sound Coast Watch. Well, thank you for giving us this, this opportunity. Yeah, this was fun. Rebecca, thank you, too, for telling us what's under those manhole covers. You know, it's all <laughs> in the mystery, and, and so you helped, um, you know. I can't believe I'm thanking you it's for bringing donation, us into the and she'll, uh, she'll show, you in a, show you what looks a manhole looks like. Right. <laughs> Free demonstration. Yeah, so go to the website. What's the website, Barbara? SalemSound.org. And there they posted um, Rebecca's talk, and so that's a great thing to look at. But we're out of time, and that's another hour of Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Next week, Emily Flaherty will talk with me about Salem Sound Coast Watch education programs. Thanks for listening, and please be safe and try to clean up the environment. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Yeah.